And our habits are a choice. And our habits are what dictate whether or not we're successful in any endeavor. Our success is not predicated on things we do when we feel like it, when it's convenient, or when we want to. Our success is predicated on the things that we do every single day. So the people that create incredibly strong and positive work habits and are consistent with those are going to outperform and outachieve most other people. Top leaders, meaningful conversation, actionable advice, bulldoze complacency, ignite inspiration, create impact. Produced by Southwestern Family of Companies. This is the Action Catalyst. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Peak performance, ultra performer. Who we're talking to today is Alan Stein. He's been the director of performance for Pure Sweat Basketball, working with elite high school, college, uh, and NBA players, doing things for like the Nike Skills Academy, the McDonald's All-American Game, the Jordan Brand Classic, uh, you know, the NBA Players Association Top 100. You know, that's what Pure Sweat does. And Alan does a lot of the performance work, which we're going to talk about. He has since moved into sort of the speaking world and, uh, and doing training and so forth. So we wanted to talk about the high performer, you know, the habits of high performers. So Alan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to a fun conversation. So when you think about preparing somebody, you know, to compete in the MBA, I know one of the things that you talk about is this sort of like pyramid concept. Absolutely. I mean, for the, for the players on court, in order for a player to be the best player that they're capable of, we look at four different components. Uh, The bottom of the pyramid, the base, the foundation for the whole thing happens to be my area of expertise, which is their body and improving their athleticism, uh, improving their ability to move efficiently on the court uh, and to remain as injury free as possible. Then we go one level up skill acquisition. You know, it doesn't matter how athletic a player is. If they can't shoot, pass, rebound, defend or handle the ball, then it really doesn't matter. Uh, Then we go up one more level and we start talking about the mind, uh, which is two separate areas we want to look at. One, we want to make sure a player has the mental toughness and fortitude uh, to compete every day, but we also want to make sure they have a very high basketball IQ, that they know how and when to use their skills and their athleticism to be as effective as possible. And then the apex of the pyramid is their heart. Uh, That's their grit, their passion, uh, you know, their motor, if you will. And, And we found that when you can improve a player in those four distinct areas, Uh, almost like you're putting together a jigsaw puzzle, you'll create the best basketball player that they're capable of becoming. So do you start at the bottom and sort of work your way up? It it is rather sequential. Now, when we say working on their strength and conditioning in their body, when most people hear strength and conditioning, they usually envision a player, you know, doing a bench press or have a barbell on their back and doing squats. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. We're talking about improving their coordination and their balance, uh, their motor control, their proprioception, just getting them in touch with their body. And uh, we do that with very young players. I mean, I, I'll do events that, that have kids that are seven or eight years old where we're teaching them movement patterns. You know, do they have rhythm and coordination in their feet, working on their footwork? So really just teaching them how to control their body. Because uh, as you can imagine, if a player can't control their body, if they can't start and stop and jump and land and move forwards and backwards, they're going to have a lot of difficulty doing fine motor skills like shooting and passing and ball handling. So yes, we address the body first and then we level up and we start teaching them the skills of the game. 
And, and that will be rudimentary skills. You know, here's how you make a bounce pass. Here's how you dribble between your legs. Then the next layer is the IQ portion, which is to teach them. So it's one thing to know how to make a bounce pass. It's another to know when to make a bounce pass. So how do they apply their skills and their athleticism? And then in, in all honesty and in full humility and transparency, the top, the apex and the heart, that's the one I believe that we as coaches have the least impact on. That needs to come from the players. Now we can motivate, we can inspire, uh, we can model the fact that that we love what we do and we're passionate about coaching. Uh, but at the end of the day, a player has to want to be the best player that they're capable of. So when we get all the way to the top, that's almost when we pass the baton to the player and say, okay, now how bad do you want it? We've given you the raw materials and the tools to be as good as you can be. Now you need to actualize it. So do you think that, you know, I mean, I think that gets to the question, which is relevant. Obviously, most of us listening here, we're not going to probably make us make a run at playing in the NBA. But that gets at the question of, you know, do you think ultra performers are made or are they born? What's your take on that? In, an, in the world of athleticism, you certainly have to be born with certain genetic predispositions that would give you the potential to compete at that level. And here's what I tell young players all the time. And I, I say it with, with a friendly smile. Uh, if I'm talking to a group of young players, I'll say, every single one of you has the potential to make it to the NBA. However, less than half of a percent of you have the potential to make it as a player. Uh, and the point being that, you know, uh, most players that are using sports as a vehicle to learn life lessons, I mean, they can still make it to the NBA, but they'd have to make it as a coach or a referee, or heck, maybe even as an owner or a general manager. So if their goal is to make their living in the game of basketball and be in the NBA, I want them to go after that with everything that they have. But the reality for most normal human beings is they weren't born with the athletic tools uh, to play in the NBA. And uh, I don't ever say that to discourage or diminish a player. I want them to go after that. I mean, when I was eight, I thought I was going to play in the NBA and I went after it with everything I could. And, and it just wasn't in the cards. But uh, so I, I don't want players to be discouraged from going from their for their goal. But you have to realize that a guy like a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant, those guys were born with certain tools that most people weren't born with. However, and this is a big however, that is not to take away from the work ethic and the habits and grit that players like LeBron and KD have. Just because they were born with some physical tools doesn't automatically give them the gold ticket to the NBA. You know, Kevin Durant's not the only 6'10 guy walking around. There's plenty of them who didn't actualize their potential, who didn't create habits, who didn't do the things that they needed to do. So a guy like LeBron or KD was born with the raw materials to make it to that level. And yet they've worked incredibly hard, incredibly smart, and with tremendous consistency in order to make that happen. But Spud Webb and Muggsy Bogues and Earl Boykins and some of the other players that were on the shorter side uh, certainly had so many other physical tools um, to allow them to be able to play at that level. You know, even a, take a player like Stephen Curry. I mean, he's one of the top players in the game, arguably the best shooter in the game. And when you just look at him just standing there, he looks like a normal guy. He has a normal frame. I mean, he's a little bit taller than the average male, but you know, he, he you know, he doesn't pass the eye test the way that a LeBron James does. However, when you really look at athleticism, I mean, Stephen Curry uh, was born with some some pretty good genetic hookups. I mean, his hand eye coordination, his balance. We can't just look at height 
and one's ability to jump or run as the only barometers of athletic success. I mean, the, these guys can do so many other things. Steve Nash is another one. Steve Nash is one of my all-time favorite players. And most novice fans would not consider him a great athlete because he wasn't a high flyer or a dunker. Well, if you take all of the other areas of athleticism, his mobility, his reaction, his hand-eye coordination, his conditioning level, I mean, Steve Nash would rate off of the charts in those other areas. So even though Steve Nash may look like a normal guy and he's not winning dunk contests, he is in the upper, you know, 0.01 percentile of the human population when it comes to athleticism. And certainly not every player that's currently on an NBA roster uh, was born with just unbelievable genetic gifts. Lots of people have been able to overcome certain deficiencies because they had an exceptional skill. You know, I mean, if you can flat out shoot the ball, uh, that will make up for maybe a lack of some natural athleticism that you don't have. And I would say the same is true for being a high performer in any vocation. I mean, certainly if you're going to be a world-class singer, it would help for you to be born with the tools that would make it, you know, make you privy to being a world-class singer. But that doesn't mean that you can't be an incredibly successful salesperson or CEO or entrepreneur. So that's why I love the transition from sport to business because it's less reliant on one's genetics and or athleticism. So when you look over then to the business world, do you think that that same rule applies that it's like to compete at the highest level, I mean, to be a, a Fortune 100 CEO, is there certain a genetic predisposition that is necessary to make it to that level? Or are you saying in the business world, it's more of an equal playing field? I'm going to say it's both. And I don't say that to back out of an answer. I do think that there are some inherent traits that one can be born with that will improve their chances of being successful in that arena. Not everyone was born, you know, with the with the academic IQ of a Warren Buffett or a Steve Jobs. You know, not everyone was born with the inherent leadership skills that some of the best leaders, like a Coach K, uh, Duke basketball may have. So I do think there are certain traits and talents that one can be born with that will greatly increase their chances of being successful. But I also think a good portion of what's needed are skills, and skills can be developed. Uh, and, and they're developed through repetition and through training and practicing with purpose. So I do believe it's both. Do I think every human being born has the potential to be a, a Fortune 100 CEO? No, I do not. Do I think a, a, a good portion of people can develop the skills that will put them in a position to be able to hold jobs like that? Absolutely. Okay. So is there anything in common in terms of maybe the habits that you see of the people who you go like on the surface, you go, gosh, that person doesn't really come up, like you mentioned Steve Nash, doesn't look like they have the genetic predisposition to be doing what they're doing. Or in the business world, you go, gosh, that person doesn't really seem to have kind of like the natural charisma to be a great salesperson or a great leader, but somehow they rise above that. Yeah, there's two in particular that come to mind. Uh, One, the habits and mindsets, rituals, routines, and disciplines that they have during the unseen hours. It's, it's what they're doing when the proverbial cameras aren't on that, that really determines whether or not they'll be successful. Because at some level, we all have to appreciate the fact that our habits are a choice, you know, and our habits are what dictate whether or not we're successful in any endeavor. Our success is not predicated on things we do when we feel like it, uh, when it's convenient or when we want to. Our success is predicated on the things that we do every single day. So the people that create incredibly strong and positive work habits and are consistent with those are going to outperform and outachieve uh, most other people. Uh, and the other is 
high performers and high achievers have a relentless thirst for development. They are always looking to get an advantage and always looking to learn, to grow, to develop, to sharpen their sword and master their craft. A friend of mine named Michael Burt, uh, who was a former uh, basketball coach and is now in the business world as well, uh, he coined a term that I love called execution gap. An execution gap is the difference between what we know we're supposed to do and what we actually do. And every one of us has an execution gap. I mean, take physical fitness. Everybody knows what they need to do to work out and to eat right, but how many people actually do that? Uh, That's uh, an execution gap, but we all have it. Well, the highest performers and the highest achievers, and for that matter, the happiest people on the planet have narrowed their execution gap to almost nothing. They know what they're supposed to do and they actually do it. And and to me, that's the big equalizer uh, is what you do in the unseen hours how, how bad you have the desire to improve and get better. And if you can close that execution gap, there's no reason why you can't be excellent in sales or excellent as a leader if you're willing to work on those skill sets. And then if you take talent, say you're born and add it to that, then you're a superstar. On your perspective, how do you do it? Um, how do you get yourself to do those things you know you're supposed to do when you don't feel like doing it? From an accountability standpoint, I believe that as human beings, whenever the spotlight is off, we're always going to revert back to bad behavior. So from an accountability standpoint, we need to put systems in place that always keep the spotlight on us. So for instance, if I'm looking to change a habit, uh, my I want to start reading for 30 minutes every night before I go to bed. It's in my best interest to share that with as many people as possible, especially the people in my inner circle, my family, my friends, my co- close colleagues. Even in today's day and age, share it on social media. Put it out there and let everyone know that this is a habit that you're trying to establish because now the people that really care about you will help hold you accountable. So tomorrow, you and I, you're chit-chatting. You say, hey, Alan, did you do your your reading last night? What did you read? Tell me about what book you're into, whatever. But now I'm going to have lots of people holding me accountable. And one of the worst emotions that any of us can ever feel is disappointing somebody else. So when you've put it out there that you're going to change this habit to a lot of people and they're constantly checking in with you and holding you accountable to see if you're doing it, you know, in order to not disappoint them, it's a way to keep that spotlight on you and hold you to the fire while you stick with that habit. And then the beautiful part about habits, uh, you know, research shows that it can take as little as 21 days, sometimes as much as six to eight months to groove a new habit, depending on, you know, the depth of the habit but it's still a finite period of time. So key is put systems in place to get the people that care about you to hold the spotlight on you for say three weeks to six months and you'll have formed that new habit. And then you can move on to another habit that you'd like to improve. I love it. Alan, where do you want people to go if they want to connect with you? You can go to alansteinjr.com. That's A-L-A-N-S-T-E-I-N-J-R.com. And I'm also at Jr. on all social handles. Well, I appreciate it, brother, and appreciate you coming on, man. We wish you all the best. Thank you. Likewise. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening.